Paul the Apostle, who had an experience with Jesus, um, he was, uh, um, let me back up the story a little bit. He is the great apostle who is traveling around the world spreading the gospel, okay? And in the midst of him taking the uh, gospel to the Gentile world, he feels very strongly that he should go to Jerusalem, okay? So he wants to go to Jerusalem um, and uh, um, share the gospel with Jews, okay? That's a mistake, okay? And so everyone around him is like, hey, that's, that's a mistake, okay? Um, and they're like, I have seen a vision that if you go there, they're going to throw you in jail. Like, it's going to get bad, and they're going to persecute you. And he's like, cool. All right, I'm going to go. And they're like, no, you don't get it. You're going to go to jail. And he's like, okay. And so he goes anyways. He's like, I'm going to preach to these Jews. So he goes there, and guess what? They put him, they put him in jail. So they want to kill him, and they want the, the Jews are ticked, man. They're, they're mad, right? And so they want to kill him, and, and they want to do bad things to him, and he appeals uh, to the leaders there to give him an audience to explain himself. So he explains himself, um, and he makes a decision. In the process of this, he makes this interesting decision um, where he uh, appeals to Caesar. Okay, He's a Roman citizen. He, he holds dual citizenships. He's a Jew that holds dual citizenship. And so he appeals to Caesar um, in order to uh, have Caesar hear his case rather than being heard by these religious Jews who are going to find a way to persecute him and probably execute him. Okay, So he appeals to Caesar. And what's very interesting about his appeal is, is um, there is this moment, um, and I believe it's Acts 23 or 22, where... Um, Agrippa, the king of the Jews, actually says to Paul, he says to, or it says privately, excuse me, about Paul, he says, oh, man, uh, too bad he appealed to Caesar. Like, I've seen the evidence. There's no reason to hold the man. I would let him go today, but he appealed to Caesar, so we have to send him to Rome to face, face Caesar. Caesar's got to render judgment. So this king Agrippa, who is not known for being nice to Christians, is going to let Paul, would have let Paul go. But Paul says, no, I'm going to appeal to Caesar. He played all his cards too soon, right? So he showed his hand a little too quick. And that's the way I always thought of it. I was like, oh, Paul. So what happens next is he spends two years in prison. Two years. Okay? And in the course of that, he's, he has to go to Rome to, um, to meet with Caesar in order to uh, have his case heard. And in the middle of that, he has to get on a boat, right? Because they didn't have planes, Okay? And so he had to get on a boat and cross an ocean, and these things called storms happen in the ocean, okay? And so this great shipwreck comes, and a hurricane comes against Paul's sound wisdom. Uh, he tells the captain of the ship, or he tells the people on the ship, the Roman uh, uh, captain, we shouldn't sail. Like, it's going to get bad. We shouldn't sail. And he's like, oh, I'll listen to my experienced sailors over you, you prisoner. Like, rude, right? Um, but he doesn't listen to Paul, um, and they get shipwrecked. 14 days they're tossed around in the water until finally Paul actually tells them, eat some food guys. And they're like, we haven't eaten in 14 days. They're trying to save their rations. And he's like, eat the food and throw the rest overboard. We need to lighten the weight up. So he tells them all, let's throw all the food away. 14 days they're at sea. 14 days, let's throw all the food away. Eat some food, fill your bellies because we're going to be on safe land tonight. That's what he tells them. So by that time, uh, by the time night falls, they shipwreck on an island. And it's unfamiliar to them. They don't know where they're at on the island, okay? And, and this island they shipwrecked out was actually a very central hub of, 
of transportation in their day. So it, it, they were shipwrecked on a part of the island that was not the main bay that they would have gone to. So they didn't know where they were. They was, the, the coastline didn't seem familiar to them. But when they woke up, people came to them, when they, or they got daylight, excuse me. People came to them, and they realized where they were. They were on the island of Malta. We call it Malta uh, in a town called Malit or or. or Back then, they may have called the island Malit, okay, Malit or Malta. And what's interesting about that is that the word Malta means honey, okay? So this island was known for uh, honey in particular, sweet, okay? So it was a sweet island. And I think if you've been shipwrecked for 14 days or tossed around like you're going to be shipwrecked for 14 days, that would be pretty sweet to come onto a beach, right? Right? Um, so sometimes in our life, we go through times where we don't know what's happening and our ships break apart, like, like the words. Okay, like the, the computers. Everything's breaking around us, and it's not according to plan, all right? And it's not according to our process of how we saw the events going. And we have to realize that sometimes, yes, we are shipwrecked, but we're not dead. We're shipwrecked, but not dead. And sometimes that's a very big distinction as we learn. And so I, I'm going to read these, these uh, passages to you in Acts 28, 3 through 9, if we can put that up on the screen. If Acts 28, 3 through 9. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of brushwood placed it on the fire, a viper came out because the heat and fastened to his hands. So Paul is starting a fire, right? They've been cold for a minute, um, and now he's starting a fire, and a viper. Do, any of you guys know snakes? Is a viper poisonous or not poisonous? Yeah, you're going to die, okay? All right, so he does that. When the natives saw the snake hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, though he has been saved from the sea. Justice has not allowed him to live. Let, let me hold off right there for a second before you move on. Justice is not allowed to live. So these, these, these uh, island inhabitants see him get bit by a snake. And they see this dude is a murderer. Now, wrong about Paul? No, he's a murderer, isn't he? He's a redeemed murderer. See, they don't know Paul's story and why he might have been a murderer. He wasn't under the curse of death anymore. He wasn't subject to that sin anymore because he had found the one who gives grace over death, okay? The one who gives grace over your past. And so what happens is the snakes bites him and they say to him, though he escaped the sea, justice will not let him. Now see that word justice, let me teach you something about the Bible. Uh, I mean, that would be probably pretty good at church, right? I mean, I don't know. Um, that word justice doesn't mean like justice in our sense. It's not actually even talking about justice as in like the criminal system, right? You know, like he got, he reaped what he sowed, that kind of, you know, you do bad things and, you know, even though there was no judge here, he got it. Uh, that's actually not what it's talking about. Uh, justice in that particular case is actually talking about a, uh, a Greek god, okay, a mythological god uh, named uh, uh, Decay, decay, okay? And it's talking about this, it's decay. He's a pagan mythological god that was, uh, she, she, excuse me, was the daughter of Jupiter and the goddess of justice, okay? So the daughter of Jupiter is who they're referring to. So they say justice would not let him live. So the, this pagan god, this god of Jupiter, uh, daughter of Jupiter, would not let him live. So they're referring to the fact that their god is powerful enough that he got away from the sea and she came back a second time to get him, all right? And so what happens next is really great. Let's go to the next one and you'll see. So however, Paul shook off, say shook off, the snake into the fire and suffered no harm. Next. 
they were expecting him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but after they waited a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and beginning to say he was a god. Okay, so first they thought a god was going to kill him, and now they think he's a god. So look what happens next. Now in the vicinity around that place were lands belonging to the most prominent man of the island named uh, uh, Publis. He welcomed us and hosted us warmly for three days. It so happened that the father of, of Publis was lying in bed sick with a fever and dysentery. Paul visited him, and when they had prayed and laid hands on him, he was healed. After this happened, the rest of the sick on the island started coming to him and getting healed. So what I want to say to you today is you might be shipwrecked, but you are not dead. All right? And so what I learned from this story is something very miraculous happened. All right? And it's really interesting if you get down into it and see what's happening here. But in order to fully understand it, we got to understand the context. Here's Paul shipwrecked when all he had to do was tell King Agrippa his story without saying, I want to be judged by Caesar. If he would have just waited on that card, he wouldn't be on the island of Malta. He wouldn't have been shipwrecked. He wouldn't have been in prison for two years. He would have been set free by the Jews themselves. Okay? Now, here's what's interesting is when he gets bit by the snake, you think, God, you told me to go to Jerusalem. They told me that I would face some persecution there, but now here I am. You told me to go to Jerusalem, and you stuck me in prison for two years. They wanted to kill me. And so now I plead to Caesar, thinking that's the path forward. And, and I can't even get to Caesar because I get shipwrecked on the, on the way and I'm stuck on this island and everyone thinks that their God is more powerful than you and is going to kill me. That's usually where we're at in a situation like that, wouldn't you say? But you notice Paul doesn't complain once. He doesn't raise his voice in protest. He doesn't ask God what's going on. In fact, even when the snake bites him, that's not the moment that's like, seriously? I got shipwrecked and now a snake bites me the second I get saved. Like every time he turns around and he's almost safe, something tragic happens to him in this situation, right? The king's gonna let him go and he's like, oh, Caesar, all right, yeah, you gotta go, right? He, 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 he's gonna die in a shipwreck and then the beach comes and he gets a tropical vacation and oh no, there's a snake, okay? All right, so the snake comes out. And it's like one thing after another. And I don't know where you're at in your life today, but sometimes it feels like things, you know, right? Sometimes everything's going right for a season and then like one thing goes wrong and it's 573 wrong things in a row, right? And the enemy comes at you so hard because, see, I, I tell people this. You want to know if it's the enemy? Is it overwhelming? Then it might be the enemy. If it's just my appliance broke down, it's probably just an appliance, Okay. But when all of your appliances break down, when both computers go down, and the, when every piece of electronic equipment fails at the same moment, that might be the enemy. Okay? That's a good way to discern what's going on. But the question is, why? See, the enemy doesn't really come after you unless you're doing something. All right? He's not really interested in you sobering up. All right? He's interested in you staying right there in your drunken stupor and just enjoying your life. Okay? That's where he's at. So let me tell you what happened with Paul. So, why, so I, I was under the impression before that Paul made a, a, a mistake. First of all, he went to Jerusalem, right? It was like they told you, prophets told you that this was going to happen. So he went anyways. So I, I don't know what, glutton for punishment? Like what do you call that, right? You know, self, self-destructive behavior? Like, you know, what's going on with Paul here? This guy, we're going to have a conversation, dude. Like judgment, bro. Um, but... What, what, I didn't get it until last night. <laughs> I read 
Acts 23.11. And if we can put that up on the screen there. Acts 23.11. And I believe this puts it in context. So this is before Paul appeals to Caesar. Okay, I'll read it to you. This is before Paul appeals to Caesar. And it says this. It says this. When he is persecuted, Rome has now taken him in. The Jews are wanting to put him on trial. He has not had trial yet. And the Lord says this to him. He says, the following night the Lord stood beside Paul and said, take courage for just as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And it hit me. Paul didn't appeal to Caesar because he thought that was the only way to escape the Jews. He appealed to Caesar because God told him to go to Rome. And he didn't really care about the two years of prison. The only thing on his mind was getting to where God had called him and the stuff and the persecution and the hardship and the in-between didn't matter to him. He just shook it off. He just shook it off. So when that snake jumped out of that fire, guess what he didn't do? He didn't panic. He didn't even say, oh my gosh. In fact, he's standing there with Luke, the physician. Paul travels around with a doctor, and it doesn't even say that he turned to his doctor and said, should I be worried about this? Like, should we talk about it? You know? In fact, Paul doesn't even turn and pray. He doesn't pray. He doesn't seek his physician. He just shakes it off because he says, I know where God told me I'm going and the devil's trying to tell me I'm not going to get there, but I'm going to get there and nothing is going to hold me back from that today. Amen? Some of you guys need to stop worrying about where you're at in the process. You might be shipwrecked, but if you know where God is taking you, you have no fear of where you're at. <laughs> God told him he's going to get to Rome. He's like, if my path to Rome involves prison, a shipwreck, and a snake, bring it on. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why this is so powerful and it moved me, okay? Let me tell you what happened, all right? The island of Malta. Anybody been there? Anybody heard of it other than the Bible? A little bit. Oh, you Bible scholars, you looked all into it, right? Um, I want to go there. Okay, so here's what's crazy. This was not a planned destination for him. It was not on his route. It was not on his plan. How many of you guys have had great plans? You form all these plans, right? You make your goals, right? It's the first of the year. I'm going to make some goals. And this year, I'm going to go to the gym, and I'm really going to do it more than once, okay? Um, and you go to the gym, and you're like, I am at the gym. And you investigate all the machines, and you say, okay, now that I understand what machines there are, I will come back. Next week and start, okay? It's good goals. And you got all these goals, right? And you got your plans. You say, okay, I'm going to pay off my debt in 19 months, and I'm going to follow this plan, right? You make all these plans, and plans are good. Goals are great. You should have them, okay? But what happens is we get so comfortable in our goals, we get so committed to our goals that when a shipwreck comes, right, when a storm comes and knocks us off course, we freeze. God, I don't understand. You told me I was going to Rome. I don't know where to go now. I'm on Malta. Okay, and that's where we get stuck. We just get stuck, and this is not where you had for me. And we start doing this. Well, maybe, God, that wasn't you that told me to go to Rome. Maybe, maybe that was just me. Uh, maybe, maybe I've sinned, and you can't use me anymore, and I should just give up and give in to sin. Maybe I should just, you know, it's too late for me. You use someone else because I'm a wreck. You start to doubt your identity. You start to doubt who you are. And you start to doubt who he is. See, because here, here's, here's the thing. If you know yourself and you know your heart and you are intimately connected to you and you doubt your own self, how much easier is it to doubt God who you're unsure of? You want to stop doubting God? Stop doubting you. Because you're made in his image. And you're tearing down his creation. 
Stop doubting yourself, and maybe you'll learn. You can't ever stop doubting God until you start doubting who you are and who he's called you to be. Okay? So some of you need to get an identity check. All right? Some of you need to understand who you are and who you created to be. Paul understood it. He didn't mind being off course, because this is what Paul did. Paul said, Lord, I know I'm supposed to get to Rome. I don't know what I'm doing here in Malta, but while I'm here, I'm going to do what I do. And that's spread the love of Jesus. See, anywhere Paul went, it didn't really matter if he knew where God was putting him at that moment. He just knew who he was. And what Paul was was a guy who brought the gospel everywhere he went. And so if I'm on Malta, I'm going to bring Jesus to Malta. And, and so, so Paul began to heal people on the island of Malta. So Malta is a very small, um, very small place. But what's amazing about Malta is, if you didn't know this, today, now uh, uh, the Catholic denomination would be the biggest uh, denomination there. It's primarily, that's what the, they're mostly Catholics. Okay? So as far as Christianity is concerned, Malta is a free nation. That uh, you have religious freedom. You can choose or be any religion that you want to. Okay, so there's no restriction there. They don't force you to be a Christian or, or Muslim or anything like that. It is a free nation. You are allowed to worship. Uh, but they have declared a state religion, uh, and Catholic is the is the denominational religion of of the island of Malta. They declare that as a state. But you are free to do whatever you want or be heathen as long as you want to. Okay, so that's free. But on the island of Malta. On the island of Malta, 98% are Christian. 98% are Christian. The 2% just didn't answer the phone for the survey, probably. Okay? So they, they, they could, you know, could, you know, could just pretend, pretend you know, or just, just make it. I think they're probably Christian. All right. So 98%. It is the highest percentage of Christianity dominating a nation in the history of our world. Of, of every nation. nation. It, it is, is the, the most Christian nation on the face of the planet because Paul got shipwrecked there. I don't know where you're at, but if all you do is sit on the beach and cry about your situation because you're not where God called you to be, you're going to miss the miracle that thousands of years later, every single inhabitant, pretty much down to 2% on that island, Follow Jesus because you decided that you were not going to be dead in your shipwreck. So Paul understood this is the path I got to take. I don't understand where I'm at. I don't understand how long we're going to be in this season. But God, I trust you because I know who you are. And you said, go to Jerusalem, they're going to persecute you. So you were honest. That one came true. All right? So I'm going to trust you that when we get to Rome, it's going to be your hand on my life. So shipwreck me wherever you want me to spread the gospel. Paul wasn't afraid of being shipwrecked. That's why when that snake bit him, he just shook it off. He's like, I'm not in Rome yet. So I ain't going anywhere. Didn't seek his position. Well, and I, I can imagine. Can you imagine? Like, he gets bit by this viper, and Luke's like, hey, you want me to take a look at it? He's like, we're not in Rome. This man over here is sick. Take me to him. He's got bit by a snake, and he's going to heal the sick. And he heals the island. And the legend of Paul spread through the island. You know, you know, he, he had, had to convince, convince them that he wasn't God. God. Can, can, can you believe that? <laughs> Paul didn't arrive where he wanted to, and it wasn't his plan. He could have complained about the persecution, but he understood that his path might be different than he understands. So goals are great, but if God has to do it your way, he's not really God. Is he your God, or are you his? 
right? right? Sometimes, Sometimes I, I think in Christianity, we, we, we got to get things, we get things confused up. I think we get a little Aladdin thrown into our, our mix, and we sometimes forget that he is the God of the universe and not the genie in the bottle. Okay? You can't just rub him and have him show up. Let me, Let me tell you this. this. Let, me Let me tell, tell you this. this. The, the difference between what Paul went through and what we go through is that Paul, in the middle of not understanding, of not knowing where he was at and what part of the call he was in, Paul did something that most of us stop at. We don't take a step. See, Paul would have read the stories of Joshua. And when Joshua went into the Holy Land, God said, put your foot into the water. And when Joshua put his foot into the water, it began to part, but he had to take a step and get his foot wet. The first step was wet. And he put his foot in there, and the water parted. And then he walked through, and he stood there, and the angel said, take off your sandals. And he says, everywhere you put your feet, that, that land is yours. See, See Paul would have read, read that story. He knew that story very well. He knew wherever my feet touch, I'm, I'm going to take the gospel. And, and he said, it's not for me. It's not mine. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Lord of Lords. And I'm going to take the gospel wherever I go. So if I'm stuck on Malta, then this round is for you, God. And he claimed it for him. And see, the difference is that he was willing to take a step. He gets bit by a viper, but he's still willing to pray for the sick. And this is what it is. Some of you are just one step away from turning your persecution into a problem. Promise. You don't, you don't need, need to ask for less persecution. persecution. You need, you need to, to ask for them to turn into promises. Right? I don't, I don't care if it's persecution. persecution. As, as long as I'm where God, God wants me, it's going, going to turn into a promise because I know who I am. Because I, I know what I'm capable of. I know what the Spirit of God inside me is. And guess what? Oh, yeah, I'm bad. Let me tell you what. Don't, don't come, come and ask me to pray for you unless you've got God to show up. If you, you want to check prayer off your list, don't come to me. Okay? Because I know exactly what I carry. I know exactly who God inside me is. And here's what I'm saying. I'm not being cocky or conceited. I'm going to tell you something. The same spirit that lives inside of me lives inside of you. And he testifies to our Lord and Savior. He testifies to Jesus, who's all-powerful, almighty, can heal all your brokenness, can heal every disease. That's what lives inside of you. And the only difference that's stopping you from understanding who you are, that you are bad in Christ, that you are capable and mighty, is you simply understanding that that's who you are. Turn your persecution into a promise. Put your foot down, take a step. Move towards it instead of complaining about it. So the key to understanding who you are and who you belong to, that's the key. Who you are and who you belong to. The key to understanding who you are is to understand who you belong to. When you understand who you belong to, you'll start to understand who you are. And when you understand who you are, you'll start actually acting like it. And when you start actually acting like it, things in your life will start lining up with it. It'll, It'll start doing your bidding. Because let me tell you what, God's not a genie bottle, but this earth is, and it does our bidding. We have dominion over it, God put dominion over it. And you start realizing who the genie is. When you rub this earth, it produces fruit for you, okay? That's what it does. When you plant seeds in the ground, it grows a harvest for you, but you've got to plant the seeds. You've got to stick the seed in the ground, and it must obey your command. It's not God that has to obey our command. It's God through us and the earth obeying our command. Some of you need to start taking a step on some ground and claiming that it's yours for him. See, See, and, and here's, here's the, the thing. thing. Some, Some of you, the, the problem, problem is you can't figure out who you are because you don't see your own value. 
and I'm, I'm not, not going to go, go much longer. Okay? You, you don't, don't see who you are because you don't understand your own value. value. So, so your, your problem, problem is, is that you don't value yourself like God values you. You don't, don't realize who you were created to be. Okay? okay? And, 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 and that's, that's a, a that's bad thing. See, because uh, I want to help you get your identity today. And so who you belong to determines your value. Who claims you usually says a little bit about your value. Okay? Does that make sense? Right? right? I walk, I walk in the room, room. I'm, I'm like, hey, man! And they're like, oh my gosh, it's Pastor Randall. Don't, don't look. Don't look. look. I know exactly how valuable I am. If, if I walk into a restaurant and you pretend like you didn't see me, I realize how valuable I am to you. Okay? That, that usually doesn't have a restaurant you're kind of caged. But if you're at Walmart you're acting like you're checking out all the frozen peas to see which brand is the best one while I walk by you, okay, then I know I'm not very valuable to you, right? Oh my gosh, the pastor's going to keep us. We're really busy. Right? right? Okay? I'm not very valuable. But, but when, when you walk, walk up behind me in Walmart, Walmart and slap my butt, butt I realize how much value I have to you. Have to you. <laughs> Does that make good sense? Good game, right? right? Good, good sermon, sermon, Sunday Pastor. pastor. Good, good sermon. Was good. 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 Did good. good. I just, I just said, said that's the wrong crowd. Sometimes, Sometimes stuff comes out, out of my mouth, mouth man. That's, that's that, just, just for clarification, that's never happened, happened to me, but I'm pretty, pretty sure it's going to happen 473 times this year. Honey, I'm not trying to get out of anything. I'm just not going to be able to go to Walmart shopping this year for the rest of the year to these people. Forget about this. Some of the honorary people are going to try to do it at the door when I leave today. I know what's going to happen. We're going to have the best altar call ever. I'm going to stay up here all day and pray for people. Jesus, take the wheel, man. It's going to be so sore. Joy of the Lord will be my strength. See, I, See, I know, know who, who I am. am. You, don't you don't get, get to, to define me. me. I'm, I'm your honored pastor that, that says some things from the pulpit that make you laugh. And, and think you're like, I don't know if he's just saying that, but I sure like that he says that, like that, says that, that so now I don't feel so bad when I say it. Okay? Right? Let me, Let me tell, tell you what, you want to box me into not having fun? Why am I, I say this to people all the time. Look, I'm, I'm not, my goofy is on purpose, okay? I'm very strategic in my goofiness because I'm trying to teach you something. You can walk in the authority and power of Jesus. When you show up and pray for sick people, they can recover. When you show up and pray for someone, the power of God can fall. But you don't have to be some stuck-in-the-mud, fuddy-dud kind of person. You can enjoy your life, it can be fun, it can be filled with laughter and hope, and you don't have to lose that to have him. You know. You know. You know. Okay. okay. So, so you, you need, need to know who you are. I, I can't stand any of these Jesus movies. I'm going to be honest with you guys. There's, there's not a single one that I enjoy other than maybe like I like Passion of Christ. But there's, there's not a single Jesus movie I enjoy. I, my Jesus doesn't go, Render unto God the things. Come unto me, all ye who are... That is not my Jesus, okay? 
Some of you need to learn your Jewish uh, history. He made, he made a lot of jokes, a lot of scriptures, scriptures that we try to break down and go, what do you think that he meant exactly? Like, how hard is it for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God? How difficult is it for a camel to go through a needle's eye? Like, like was, was he saying that it's like, it's like you have to give up all your riches and like only like 1% will make it? Or no, no, you can't put a camel through a needle's eye. Therefore, uh, the Bible's pretty clear to rich people. If you're rich, you can't get to heaven. So you need to give me all your money because I don't care. Okay, so, right? So... Like, like, you, you can't, can't do People, people don't get it. it. Jews think numbers are, are very interesting, right? We, we like counting and law and all that kind of stuff, okay? And, and Jesus was making a joke. Ha, ha, ha. Jews think that exaggerated numbers are hilarious, okay? okay? So when he said that, everyone's like, ah, you can't, can't put a camel through a needle's eye. Like, that's Exaggerations of numbers and things like that that are impossible, they think it's hilarious. So Jesus actually made a lot of numbers jokes, exaggerations. Those are things that happen. See, you have to know who he is or you can't figure out who you're supposed to be. You see how it's like a kind of a circle, Right? I gotta, I gotta know who he is, so I know who I am. So if I know who I am, I know who he is, right? Because we have the same spirit. Oh. Oh. And your spirit testifies to the truth, doesn't it? All right? So let me tell you your value. I want to give you some value. I'm going to close with this. Uh, whoever's coming to play for me. I'm going to close with this. Okay? Whoever that is. Um, who you belong to determines your value. And so i got a scripture I want to read. And, and this, this is out of Matthew, Matthew I, I believe. It should be up there. I think I put it in there. I'm shipwrecked. I'm shipwrecked, but I'm not dead. Okay. Renee would not have done that. That's the first time you ever played. That's some boldness, man. First time. Play the piano. Now, now I'm going to have to go, go five, five more minutes to get you guys, guys back, okay? okay? This, this is, is the part where I made you cry. cry. <laughs> Let, me Let me tell, tell you what we're doing. <laughs> you guys, guys can go, go home. home. We're dismissed. <laughs> <laughs> Who, Who you belong to is what determines your value, guys. I love, I love the people, people I belong to here. I'm serious. I love you guys. I love that I belong to a group of people that aren't so serious that they chase away the presence of God. And aren't such goofballs that they don't let God use them to bless people's lives. Okay? I've seen some amazing things out of this church, out of some amazing people. And let me tell you what, what defines a good pastor is not that he's the best at everything, okay? He doesn't have to be the best prophet, the best speaker, the best floor cleaner, the best counselor, the best everything. A lot of people think their pastor needs to be 100% and the best at everything. Okay. The reality is what makes a good pastor is that I can help you be the best you you were intended to be. And maybe you have a particular gift that's better than mine. And I need you here so that all of us can do it together. So my job is to raise you up to be a little better at your gift than I am at your gift. Okay? If you're not better than me than one thing, you're not there yet. You should be better than me at one thing. Okay? You don't have to be better at everything, but you're one thing that God created you to be. 
because we're, we're one, one body. Okay? okay? And, and I, I can't, can't shoot, shoot a gun with my toe. toe. So, so maybe, maybe you're the trigger finger, finger okay? I don't, I don't know, know what you are, are but I'm serious. Like, I, I don't have to be the best in anything. You just have to get good at what you do. So, so who you belong to determine your values. Let's look at this scripture real quick out of Matthew. And I believe that we have it up there. The next set of scriptures. It's Matthew 22, 17, and it's the story of these Pharisees who try to corner Jesus to get him killed or arrested. All right, they decide that uh, to, to create a question that he can't answer. All right, they're going to trap him in, bait him in with a question he can't answer about whether it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar. Okay, and you're talking about a time where Jews were about to revolt, but revolting against Rome was meant. Uh, imprisonment, okay? And, and so, so if Jesus would have said, yes, you should pay your taxes, um, the, the Jews that followed him that wanted Roman occupation ended would have, that who just declared him king would have left. And they would have abandoned him. But, but if he would have said, no, you don't have to pay your taxes, Rome would have had right to arrest him and kill him on valid grounds of treason, okay? And there wouldn't have been this innocent man who would have like, oh yeah, no, he took off Rome. Like, his hands wouldn't have been cleaned by, Rome, by Rome's uh, standard. And, and, and that, that moment when Pontius Pilate cleanses his hands in the bowl and says, man's done no wrong, is a huge statement that needed to happen, okay? So Jesus is now trapped. Either way he goes, he's in trouble. And so this is what happened. They ask him, they say, tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it permitted to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So either way he answers, he's in trouble. But Yeshua, Jesus, knowing their wickedness, says, why are you test of testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. Okay, let me stop there for a second. They brought him a denarius. Now, a denarius is different. See, when Jesus went to the fish, uh, told Peter to go catch two fish, and they would have money in their mouths, it wasn't a denarius they found. It was a drachma, okay, a Jewish drachma. But here, it's a denarius. I, I, want, I want you to see a couple of things that are important here. First of all, Jesus didn't have a denarius, did he? Who did? The people asking the question, the Jewish leaders, right? The legalist Pharisees. They're the ones that care in the Roman money. Okay? They're the ones that have the Roman money. Jesus didn't have one on him. Why? Because he was in the temple. He was in the Jewish temple. He was preaching in the Jewish temple. And see, on a Roman coin was different than a Jewish coin. A Jewish coin did not have a person's face on it, ever. Okay? Because they adhered to the legalistic law, that, or the, the, the Old Testament law that said, you shall have no graven images either above or below. So nobody's face was put on a coin unless they had a graven image of somebody or worshiping somebody. But Caesar had his face put on coins because in Roman times, the biggest piece of propaganda was the face of Caesar on the coin. It was the face. So every time you bought, sold, or trade, you were reminded who was God on earth. Who was the king? Who was in charge of the world? It was Caesar. It was the biggest piece of propaganda. So every time you got something you loved, there was a sense of, of appreciation for a coin. Right? <gasps> I got money. And you're Caesar's face. So it created this mental image of happy, of good, Caesar good. And it was a piece, and they used it for propaganda. And so kings would put multiple different coins out, find one they liked the best. But on this coin was the face of Caesar. And there was an inscription on it that said this. Tiberius, Caesar, Diva, Augusta, Phila, Augustus. And that was abbreviated on the coin. Say that five times fast, right? Which meant this. Tiberius, Caesar, worshipful son 
of the god Augustus, his father, the Caesar before him. That coin was a graven image of a false god. It represented a false god. And here the Jewish leaders that want to persecute him have carried a graven image of a false god into the temple. And they dare to challenge Jesus. See, Jesus didn't have it because he knew you'll have no other gods before me and I'll carry no graven images. Yet these men who are persecuting me. So he asked them, give me a coin. And they realize right there they're done for because they carry this coin into the temple. And they hand it to Jesus. Jesus says this, show me the tax money. So they brought him to Darius. And he said to them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? The inscription matters. What God is on this coin is what Jesus is saying. Caesar's, they said to him. Then he said to them, give, next scripture, give to Caesar, therefore to Caesar, the things that are Caesar's, and give to God the things that are God's. Render under Caesar those things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God. What Jesus was saying is, what God do you serve? What God do you give your life to? What God do you surrender? Do you tithe to the God of gods, to the King of kings, or do you tithe to Caesar? What he said is, Pick whatever God you want to serve and give him what you want, what he asks. So if Caesar's your God, give him your taxes. But if Jehovah's your God, give him your tithes. That's what Jesus was saying. Give him your time. Give up to whoever you serve. And clearly the Pharisees couldn't respond to him because they had just brought the coin into the temple. And any answer would have incriminated them. He's good. Okay? So here's my question to you. Who are you rendering your life to? Who are you rendering your treasure to? Do you render unto Caesar those things that are Caesar's? Is he the God that you give to? Is this world the world that you give to? Are you so focused on the things of this world that it gets to render all your time all your love, all your heart, all your blessing, all your treasure. Who gets more of your life? Do you give it to God, your time, your resources, your, your heart, your ministry? Do you spend all your time enjoying the things of this world or doing something for God? Do you take a step onto the golf course or do you take a step into history on islands and lead them to Jesus? Do you understand? It's okay. Jesus said basically, you got a coin, give your tag, whatever. But understand, there's a God of this world and there's a God of that one. And we need to keep that in focus and serve who God asks us to serve. Because when you know who you belong to, you know what your value is. See, they knew what that coin meant. They saw the face of Caesar. And they knew what the value of that coin was. And some of you don't realize the value that your Heavenly Father has put in your purse pocket. Who do you render your life to? Who does it belong to? Who does your treasure belong to? Who does the treasure of your heart belong to? 
Is ministry just second? Is sharing the love of God with people second? I don't know where you're at. Let me tell you what. I understand it's frustrating when you get a flat tire. But that guy that stops to ask if you're okay, Paul would have prayed with him. It doesn't matter what you're facing in your frustration. It doesn't matter where you're at. Anywhere you are, you can render to God that which is God's. And see, the trick is to realize that everything belongs to God. And if everything belongs to Him, then everything has a God tax on it. Which means that everything has a moment for someone to pray with you. Let me, let me just finish with this. I understand how valuable this is. I understand what I'm saying to you. You don't understand the impact of giving God. See, when you render unto Caesar, guess what you do? You empty your pockets. And nothing good comes back to you. You just simply avoid jail. But when you render to God, he's the God that feels you. Whatever you render. I spent my week rendering my time to 60 or 70 strangers that I've never met before. I had the audacity to make a post that said, how can I pray for you this week? How can I pray for you this week? And the responses that I got on that simple Facebook post left me crying at 3 in the morning every night this week. Reading them, praying for people, messaging them, sometimes 2.30, 3 o'clock. I don't know if any of those ones I've had a conversation with even here today, but I messaged everybody back personally. And they brought me to tears. My staff prayed for everybody. And they brought them to tears. And they're like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Uh, here's what I know for sure. And I'll close on ending with this. Here's what I know for sure. People don't want to be invited to church. 86% of people say they were invited to church, they would go. They would Nobody wants to be invited to church. They want to know that church matters. They want to understand that church has value to them. What they don't want to do is just be told you should come to church. Why should I come to church? People don't want to be invited to church. They want church to show up where they're at. They want somebody who claims that God loves them to actually prove it through their own life and love them too. They want somebody to show up and say, you know what? I'm sorry you're hurting. I care. I'll pray with you. I'll pray for you. They want to know that somebody cares. And if they can just see that we care, maybe they can believe that God cares. Because the same spirit that lives in you lives in him. And they know that. Well, how do they know? They're not, they don't go to church. I believe some of them are, some of them are not. How do the ones that don't know? Because the same spirit inside them testifies to the truth. And they know. That if there is a God of heaven who loves them, that the people who serve him should as well. It's really that simple. Bow your heads with me. God, let us render to you everything that's belonged to you, God. Let us render to you our hearts, our lives, our treasure, our time, our love. Let us surrender it to other people around us, Lord, that no matter where we're at, shipwrecked, we're not dead because we're alive in you. Let us focus on others more than ourselves, Father. Let us see the big picture of where you called us to do, because when we do that, our situation doesn't seem hopeless. If we know where we're going, it doesn't matter where we are. Father, let us move in you. You're under the sound of my voice this morning. You saved yourself that I've never had that God 
I've never made a personal relationship with Jesus. I want to render myself to him today. I want to give him my life today. I want this God who blesses. I want this God who loves. And if you've never made that commitment today, you'd say you want to pray that. No one's looking around. It's just me and you. It's just a hand between you and me so I can pray for you. If that's you today, just raise your hand so I can pray with you. Amen. That's you, just raise your hand up so I can see it. It's dark here, but I can see your hand. No one else is looking around. It's a private moment. This is that moment where you get breakthrough. If you would say you feel like right now you're shipwrecked and you're far from God, that's you, raise your hand so I can pray with you. Amen. 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 Who else? Amen. You feel like you're in the middle of a storm and it feels like your ship is about to sink and you say, today, God, I just need you to stand with me. Maybe you're not far from God, but you just need some people to show the love of God and pray with you and pray over your situation and help you because you just feel like you don't know which way to go to get out of the storm you're in. That's your raise your hand so I can pray with you. Oh, my. Oh, my. Hallelujah. God, just meet these people in their need, Father. Meet them right where they are. Pour your heart out for them. In the name of Jesus, I speak blessing and increase over them. I ask for you just to meet them where they're at. In the name of Jesus, break through every battle line. Break through every storm. Change the circumstance of their life, Father. But most of all, let them know that you have a plan and a purpose for their future. And where they're at is not where they're going. Where they're at is not where they'll stay. But it's, but it's only a bump in the road to get to your calling, God. Because they haven't hit Rome yet. And they got a lot to do and you're not done with them yet, God. Give them the ability to shake off the things the enemy throws at them, that the world throws at them, that would detour them or detain them from their destiny, God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. If you need prayer this morning, I'm going to invite my altar call workers up as I dismiss you this morning. If you need prayer this morning for health in your body, for a situation going on in your life, this is your moment, this is your time to pray. If you don't need that, then if you're a visitor with us, we're going to have, uh, you can come up for prayer, and then we're going to meet you back at the Coffee Connect area. Just bring your card, or if you did it online, but come back here so we can meet and talk with you. But if you came this morning, visit or not, you need prayer this morning, I'm going to open this altar up to you. As I dismiss this morning, please come to my prayer workers, come please. And we're going to meet you here and pray with you. So as you come, as I dismiss you, we want you to understand that God is going to get you to your destiny. So do not be afraid to come up here and meet God. Here's what happens. I have people message me all the time and say, pray for me or I need to break through. But they never come up here and let someone lay hands on them. The Bible says lay hands on each other, not just text each other. Okay? Lay hands on one another. And where two or three are gathered, I'll come and be in agreement. Give this a chance to change your life. Okay? Father, just bless this time we have. Bless these people that come in the name of Jesus. And I want you to know something. I bless you today. I speak life over you. As you go today, if no one has told you, I love you. God loves you. Shalom. You're just going to please come to the altar if you need it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.